Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DeathDoorProds.com anime and manga podcast. As always, I'm your host, the Dead Man. Show today we have Birdie. Good evening. So yeah, uh, no Cora this week and no John. Uh, Cora scheduling conflicts happened because I dropped the ball, and John is still yeah, going through some personal stuff. Yeah, message from Cora to you: buy a calendar, you fucker. <laughs> yeah, seems about right. But you still got us, so fuck you, I guess. World. Oh boy! But here we talk about stuff. Uh, the beginnings, the like second acts of big things are happening in some of the manga going on right now. Yeah. Um, did you read this week's My Hero Acad- Academia? Uh, yes, I did. So yeah, that might be. The most I've wanted to cry for uh, that character ever. <laughs> we can we can get considering into... how much. Okay, so um, uh, Bakugo is suffering one of the worst cases of survive of survivor's guilt I've seen in a while, and not just that that he survived, but that he was too weak to hold himself up so he ended up losing the he ended up costing his favorite superhero his powers yeah and then and he blames himself for that yeah and then on top of that him finally putting the pieces together and just realizing that oh wait the shit stain that i've hated since i was fucking 5 has been recognized and accepted as the f- successor to the f- to my fucking greatest hero ever. Just it's yep. it's been a bad couple of weeks for Bakugo. Yeah, and this is gonna sound weird, but it's kind of, um it's it's kind of something similar to what Mar- someone pointed this out about Marvel recently that they structure their film so that you care as much about the heroes as possible that you don't the, the villains would be helpful, but they're kind of secondary. Yeah. I kind of don't want to get back to the overarching um, hero-villain plot at this point, just because I don't see it going anywhere interesting right now. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Like, right now, it seems like the villain plot is that... Like, we're stuck in um, the Joker's plot from Dark Knight combined with I don't know what the fuck uh, hands on face guy is doing. <laughs> yeah, it's Shigaraki. Is that how you say his name? Uh, Shigaraki. I think so. I it, I don't. I'm not. Yeah. I have yet to commit his name to memory. Okay. But yeah, like the blood girl got a fucking sample of Deku's blood, and that's gonna lead to something. Yeah, and that felt like a oh. Well, okay, that's nice, I guess. It just felt like you didn't do enough to build up to that reveal. <laughs> because they really didn't. Like uh w- like when we first when we first met her, it seemed like her quirk was just like blood draining. Just like she get she get like she makes a nick on you and then she can fucking suck all your blood out of your fucking st- stomach or whatever. Like 
when we were introduced to her, we never got a real sense of what her quirk was. So then having it, so having the big reveal that, oh, she can shapeshift because of blood. Yeah. It, it wasn't like, oh shit, that happened. It was like a, oh, that happened. Yeah, and I'm not like opposed to it. I see what it's doing plot wise, but I feel like, um, again, this is getting back to why I'm not that interested in the overarching superhero supervillain plot. Now, it's I did until we get some kind of like final way of dealing with the issues that Shigaraki has with um, All Might because of what happened to his parents and the way he's been brainwashed by the villain. I don't. I see this just kind of dragging its heels for a while. Yeah, well, it seems like now that All Might is kind of retired, his issue is now more with Deku than with All Might. Yeah, but like it, he has issues with Deku because Deku's tied to All Might. That was established a while ago. It's just that I, I'm personally having trouble being invested in that story right now because it's sort of. Well, it, too often stories like this will only start trying to invest you in the backstory of a villainous or a side character when they need it for a specific plot point and not before. Yeah. And I, fe- I feel like they've kind of left Shigaraki's development just off to the side mostly for too long. Well, yeah, it's mainly been a B story. Like, it, like in terms of villains... He's he was introduced really early on for like for like standard uh villainy. Yeah, yeah, but like I'm talking about for like a, you know standard shonen stuff. Like with a lot of with villains that last a while, you introduce them after a couple of like minor antagonists. But we have well, we never really had that. It's been like the only the only real like minor antagonist we had was Stain the Hero Killer. Yeah, and actually they introduced Shigaraki before that. Yeah, they they introduced because him. They introduced him like fucking the only the only supervillain they introduced to him was that muck guy. Yeah, and even he and he was just a fucking joke. So then having yeah. so then having like your first villain be just some fucking disposable guy so that our so that our hero can have a, so that our like main character can have a big hero moment, and then introducing the main bad guy for the rest of the series. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't disagree with the concept of introducing the main hero or the main supervillain early, but you run the risk then of the longer the story goes on, if his presence doesn't really add up to much, that you just start to lose interest. Yeah, but and you also need to have him be a legitimate threat. Like like so far, True. Shigaraki has not really been a big threat. Yeah, I mean, he's powerful, but he's... Even the kids have fared better against him. (laughs) Oh, yeah, like, Nomu was a bigger threat than him. Any of the fucking dudes he brought up to the goddamn training camp were bigger threats than him. And yet we're supposed to take him seriously as the big bad. Like, Like, so far what we've seen of him, he is just a... Like... Neurotic child... Yeah, well, yeah, neurotic, emotionally stunted man-child. 
You know, the only reason he was able to get into any position of power within, like, the fucking villains organization was because of All for One. Yeah. But now All for One's in a fucking Hannibal Lecter trolley. Yeah. And Shigaraki's back in his basement. So, yeah, they the villain side of things has been treated like such a B story with such B story quality characters that it's all kind of fallen to the wayside and the fucking the actual draw of the series, which is relationship between our main characters that just becomes so fucking interesting that anything they do yeah, with yeah. fucking Shigaraki will just feel like a step down after this. Yeah. Like they, they almost pulled me in after like the, the training camp with the inevitable with Bakugo getting kidnapped. That was the last time I was really invested. But that was a pretty big thing. And you, you run the risk of power creep if you don't keep up the momentum. And I don't think they have really. Oh no, not at all. Fucking all for one was established like a little after we got a few Shigaraki arcs, and then it was like, hey, all for one. He's this fucking big thing. He is the reason one for all exists. You need to defeat him. Then he gets defeated. Not even by our main guy. So it's like, oh, the actual threat is now gone. And so we're stuck with this whiny bitch. Yeah. Just bring it, bring it, uh, bring it around to comics because you know superheroes. Shigaraki is kind of super bitch prime. This guy who we're told and who the story is like yeah. leading towards being this like fucking big batter, but you can't take him seriously because his they haven't pow- done enough to allow you to take him seriously. <laughs> Yeah, that and anything they have done has just kind of undercut his credibility. Like, he seems like he would be, he seems like he could be an all right lieutenant. Yeah, whereas if he, what was, would be funny is if he shouted a little more, he would be uh, uh, Eddie Redmayne from Jupiter Ascending, just with superpowers. <laughs> yeah, they need, they will need to fucking put in some goddamn work. To make that villain story matter. Yeah. Well, um, unfortunately, I think it's one of those things where that's the way you can sort of tell from the writing what the writer cares about. And I get the impression that the writer needs the, the supervillain plot for his overall story, but it's not what he cares about. Which, and that's fine, but I mean, if you're going to include it as part of a story, you can't just pretend, oh, right, I need to get back to this at some point. Yeah. So yeah, that's what's happened in My Hero Academia. So, um, in Shokugeki no Soma, we have our so, final uh, battle. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping this is actually like the end of the series, actually. <laughs> yeah, it kind of needs to be. <laughs> if for nothing else, then for the I kind of want this to end with the main villain saying, Senpai finally noticed me. 
Because that's what allowed this to be set up, basically. <laughs> yeah, just... Ugh. Like, goddamn, like, we... We've talked about uh, days a few times on this show and how very much... <laughs> how very much guy fucking that is. Fucking kiss him already, you bitch! When we saw the flashback of Nakamura, fucking yeah, Naka, yeah, fucking, yeah, Azumi, he was just—he looked like a Days character. He looked like he was fucking getting sweeped off his feet by fucking Joichiro, and it was the fucking yep. greatest thing in the world for him. Oh man, this. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be a team battle where Soma will say, everybody will be like, oh, Soma, he can't beat the first he has, and then fucking he fucking jacks off into a pile of spaghetti sauce and then makes the greatest meal ever. Yeah, or uh, it, it, they seem to be suggesting that uh, one of the more interesting, like, I mean, this some part, part yeah, Soma's fight's probably not going to be that interesting. The only thing... There's some parts of this fight that I'm actually kind of looking forward to from a character standpoint. Particularly, they seem to be setting up that Erina, whoever she ends up fighting, she's not only be fighting um, the number of the Elite Ten she's cooking against, but against her father's controls over her. Yeah, that they've been building that up for pretty much since she went to the Polar Star dorm. So yeah, I, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that is visualized. Uh, seeing Megami, I mean, I always I, Megami's always been my favorite character because she's not such a god power character like Soma is. Oh no, she is. She is a real good character. She is like balanced. They have shown her like grow over the course of the series, where Soma has just been a flat note the entire time. Yep. It's actually it's actually kind of funny. Like I was, uh, I was thinking about this with like other, like other shonen series where the where like the you know contest that they're doing. It's really hard to show any growth in Soma because it's cooking, and cooking like levels of cooking are unless unless the gulf is like fucking massive. Visually, there is no way to really represent great, like, to differentiate between two different levels of great cooking. True. Like in, like in like a sport series, it is like, oh, he reacts like a second faster, or like he hits the ball and the the fucking effects just go fucking nuts on it. Or like in, or like something I just started watching, bicycle racing. Like, like you're able to actually see there is there's a clear visual thing of which one is better, who gets there first, who wins. But with Soma, so much of it is, hey, here is this beautiful looking dish and here is this other beautiful looking dish. We will now talk for five minutes to prove which one is best. And then give the prize to fucking food, Jesus. Yeah. Also, do you notice that they just fucking... Do you notice that they just removed any kind of pretense and just literally called Soma Food God? Oh, yeah. No, I did. And here's the thing, and I... I know that... Because I think a lot of shonen, shonen writers fall into this trap, and clearly Soma has fallen into it, too, where 
they don't leave a way for the character to lose and still have the plot progress. Yeah, it, like having having it all just be like fucking one loss KO, you are expelled. Yeah, because like th- that's the problem with the way Soma has been. The tension has been built with Soma. It's like if he loses once at this point, then the story's just basically over. Or something. Yeah, but, actually thinking about it, like in terms of any real cookoffs, he's only lost once. Like really lost. Yeah, and that was a tu- and that was not a tournament that was had expulsion as a punishment. It was just to see who ranked high amongst the students. Like yeah, I think I think the writer needs more situations like that, but all the this all of his plot arcs are so heavily dependent on the if you if you get it wrong, you expelled thing. And because of that, you lose all tension because you know that I, the story's not going to end this way because this hasn't been set up that it would end this way. Yeah. So the writer's just trapped himself in an arc where he can't let the main character lose. So it just, it just comes off like he has no challenges, despite the fact that he has dem- demonstrably proven that a lot of these... Students are probably better cooks than him, but you haven't left room for much training arcs or a ways for him to confront these characters and lose and learn something from them. It's just he has to win or the story's over. And I feel like that's a weakness a lot of shonen writers fall into. Yeah. Anyway. Nothing much happened in Haikyuu, just the start of the fucking Nationals. Just they're playing against some fucking jobber. It's going to be like, oh, we fucking, we wanted to fight Shiro Torizawa, but not really because they're really scary. So we got these fucking assholes. We are going to win. And then fucking Hinata jumps fucking 19 feet in the air and then everyone's like, oh my God. And then they lose. But speaking of Haikyuu, season three is... Really fucking good. Okay. I need to get caught up at some point, but I've just been too busy with life. Yeah, it is. God damn it. It is so good. Okay. My only... My only real complaint is a complaint that carries over from the manga, which is beyond... Ushijima and fucking the guest monster. I can't remember his name. Cytotobia or something like that? I don't know. Fucking weird. Uh, beyond those two characters, Shiro Torizawa doesn't have any other characters. Like, it all just comes down to, like, what they look like visually. And their, and their old-ass coach, I guess, and maybe the fucking next ace, but everybody else is just, everybody else is just there to fill out the spaces. Because we can't have a fucking 3v3 volleyball match for the fucking finals or whatever. So instead you get, so instead you get three characters, their coach, and just like seven people who just kind of stand there. Whereas over on fucking Grasano, they have 
a relatively fleshed out entire cast. Like they have fucking like 15 players and all of them share and all of them have some kind of purpose. And all of them get a like all of them get like a moment in the spotlight. All of them get, you know, some level of personality to them. Yeah, this is still the fucking best season of Haikyuu. Like, ever. It is incredibly well-paced. They they have done a fantastic job of pacing out these five sets for this match over the course of these ten episodes. It has been fucking amazing. Anyway, okay. something you have, something, you, so go ahead, Bertie, you go, you go do your things then. Just, I, I wanted to mention that because I, it's like Huck. It's just so good. I can't not talk about it every week. Okay. All right. So I need to talk about a series that I think Cora mentioned when he did. Like, I'm not sure if I've been on the show much since the start of this current anime season. Yeah, uh, you have not. So, but yeah. So <laughs> let's uh, get. I guess I'll build up to the one that is the dumbest. So I know. I know. Cora's talked about this because we keep talking about it. Uh, kiss him, not me. <laughs> uh, which is fun it, within limits. It's got one of those problems. It's got the same problem I said I had with Storks, where when it's funny, it's really funny, but it is so invested. It is so thinks you should be invested in the melodrama of this chick who has four hot guys who want to date her, and her only thought is, why can't you just fuck each other? You know, real problems. And that's. <laughs> And I know Cora, next time Cora's on, he's going to throw a fit about this because I, I was just sort of gobsmacked by last week's episode. where um, So, despite the ludicrous stupidity of the premise, this world is mostly down to earth, just with wacky, mo- normal characters. But then last week's episode... Um, they end up on a cursed island with the headless ghost of a character that an anime that the two main girls are fond of was found on, and they get chased around on the island by ghosts until wait, what? the main character wait, wait, uses her knowledge of anime to perform an onmyoji exorcism on the ghosts. And so they escaped the island and learned that uh, the lunch they had had that day, the guy who gave it to them accidentally laced their lunches with mushrooms so they were just tripping balls for two-thirds of the episode. What the fuck? Yep. That's stupid. Immensely so. (laughs) Why? What? 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 Yep, that's about what I was doing when I first watched the episode. Like, I've seen a bit of this show. 
I know the tone they're going for. Mm-hmm. What you just said ain't it. No, it isn't. And look, I'll freely admit that the episode that Cora hated more before this, where the main character is making chocolate sculptures of one of her favorite anime characters and keeps eating the failure, so her weight balloons back up and the boys have to deal with how she used to look before she was hot and they maybe learn something about themselves and her from that. And then they have their sexual favors contest to make her get back down to hot weight. Like, yeah, that's stupid and preposterous, but it kind of fits with what it's part of it, kinds of yeah, it, it, what it, kinds of ridiculousness the story had set up in the first place. Yeah, it fits with the tone. It uh, it fits with the characters. It all fits in this fucking ludicrous ass world. The other story sounds like a lesser episode of the Ghost Stories dub. Yeah, that's actually not a bad comparison. Because they get to this island when a whirlpool forms in the middle of a lake and throws them at the island. And Wait, a whirlpool forms in the middle of a lake? Yes. They seem they seem to be aware of how stupid that is because they say, "Oh God, a whirlpool! Wait, isn't this a lake?" But what the they, fuck you doing? Long ass Japanese show name I can't not remember. Just say "kiss him, not me," because <laughs> that's another thing I don't like. I, I'm I normally don't appreciate it when the the Japanese titles are not transliterated like they kind of have to adapt it for an American audience like um uh well sometimes i kind of understand it like uh what is it uh watashi moto uh the one that basically translates out to my little sister can't possibly be this cute yeah like i can see why that title would not be translated literally because <laughs> how would you market that <laughs> But um You market that the, very the, specifically. <laughs> but um you know, the Japanese title of this, Watashiga uh Motoete Dosunda, literally means Oh my god, I'm popular, what do I do? That That's a fine title. Not only is that it's not a fine it's a fine title enough, but it doesn't it sort of misleads you as to what the actual main gist of the show is fair because yes it's not it, it's not because the way that makes it sound it makes it sound like oh my god all these boys suddenly want to fuck me what do i do and that's not what this show is whereas kiss him not me pretty clearly succinctly that gives explained, you okay yeah <laughs> So yeah, I prefer the. I've had this discussion with Cora. I prefer the American title, the English title, to the Japanese. But um, yeah, no, I, I'm. J- this show has been very hit or miss. Like whenever they try to be dramatic, it doesn't work. Whenever they try to step outside, like like, and I'm sure Cora has said this too. The funniest parts of the show, outside of Mutsumi, are all the scenes of gay chicken. Yeah, he did mention that. He did mention gay chicken. There is a lot of that. There is a lot of that. 
like um, when the boys agreed to the series of sexually suggestive scenes to get her down to weight, um, two of the boys were not aware that the other girl, who is also a Fujoshi, uh, told the girl without them knowing that if she got all the way down within a certain time period, she would convince two of the guys to open mouth kiss each other. <laughs> and <laughs> The fuck is this and show, man? I don't know. Because I had this discussion again with some of my female otaku friends, and we were like, we we were sort of comparing notes back and forth about different kinds of ridiculous fan service shows, and I was trying to decide whether or not male fan service shows are more ridiculous than female fan service shows, and we both sort of came to the conclusion that no, it's not that one's worse than the other. It's just that they're both insane in sexually deferring ways. Yeah, I was gonna say like they are they are both on the same spectrum, just different ends of it. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I when it's funny, it's funny, but it's incredibly inconsistent. So I can understand not really wanting to watch this. I think parts of it are really funny, but sorry, it's just it's you have to wade through a lot of schlock to get to the funny parts sometimes. And then episode seven, I don't know what the fuck they were thinking with that. Because, like, the, the, the episode of the next... The next episode's premise, it's ridiculous, too, but it's more the kind of ridiculous that the show has led up to, where one of the boys thinks he's not getting anywhere with the chick he's also trying to bang until he finds out that she's going to be entering... She's going to be working part-time in a, like, anime funland stage show, which he is intimately familiar with because he watches it every afternoon with his, with his kid sister. And so he gets the job of partnering with her by performing female magical girl magical girl dance moves for a uh, contest. Huh. And the little sister is sort of jealous of the female showing up at her at her big brother's house until she finds out. Oh my god, you're playing Ruby. <laughs> Okay. So yeah. When it's funny, it's funny. It's just that it often tries to be dramatic and the dramatic parts don't work. Okay, then. And also, episode seven is awful. (laughs) Because, as I've explained to you, what the fuck were you thinking? (laughs) I think they got dosed with shrooms before writing that episode. Grant Morrison came to town and bumped into a pizza they ordered. Okay. So, speaking of fan service, I don't think Cora's talked about this yet because I can't see him watching it, although he's expressed an interest in watching it after I explained how shamelessly ridiculous it is, and I know you've heard of it. Keijo. Hey, Joe, that does sound familiar. Uh, college girls water wrestling with boobs and butts. 
Okay, yeah, I just did a search for Keijo, and one of the first two images are just a girl's ass exploding. Yep. And then two girls fucking hitting their tits hitting their tits together and creating a fucking shockwave. Yep. Also, that is... One, two, three, four. The official title has eight exclamation points. I can't believe that. I never counted, but <laughs> And it is and it is alternatively known as Hip Whip Girl. Okay, well that is the name well there is one one of the main characters uses a move called Meteor Hip as one of her special moves, so Okay. And, and that okay, so here's the I like this show. I can understand people not liking it, but so there's a couple of things in its favor. One, um, I like all the characters. Like, despite this being a series, a, like a sports series with all girls and with that fan servicey of a premise, I actually can understand the characterization and motivations of several of the main characters pretty well. I mean, it's like it's like stupid sports anime stuff, but I understand it. Yeah. And when you have and it's weird to say that like um you have a the worst like drama at this point is just the other schools uh, sports wrestlers talking shit to the main character schools water wrestlers. Like, that's the worst drama so far, other than will the main character master this special technique in time for said match. Okay, also, so I looked at that. I feel like we should clarify something. So it isn't it isn't like wrestling, like actual wrestling. It is like it is like American Gladiators style where they're on like rickety platforms and shit and they got to fucking bump each other off. Okay, yeah, that is a fair thing. It just it. It feels like wrestling given. A, how shameless it is, and okay, and B, how shameless it is, and C, the way the characters define a lot of their tactics. Because uh, that's, the main character, her, her signature technique is called the vacuum butt cannon. Wow, that does sound like a move Mr. Ass would use. It's it's still like when you say rest, like I get I get where you're coming from with wrestling, but water wrestling is a very different brings a very different image to mind than what they're actually doing. Like this, like this is okay. Fair. Like this is yeah, essentially if they took that dumb thing from fucking the like Dead or Alive Extreme games. Where they're like, but where like the girls are like bumping each other ass to ass, trying to knock each other into a pool, and made that into an anime. Yeah, no, that's fair. And but it's just, but, but, I, but the I, other I, thing kind of comes across as like, oh yeah, these girls are getting down and dirty in the water as they try to wrestle yeah. each other. And actually, I I'm glad you made that dis- that dis- that um, correction because that's another thing I like about this that it's not. It's a fan servicey show, but for the most part, it's not really lascivious. Like, there's a lot of fan servicey shots, but it's 
it's shit that's so ridiculous you can't really be turned on by it. Like, one of the main characters masters a technique to go to obtain supersonic speeds by giving herself a wedgie. As you do. And, um... Uh, the, when the, when the main character masters the vacuum butt cannon, uh, her butt becomes too heavy with muscle and too easy to predict, so in order to develop faster, snappier butt shot attacks, her teacher tells her to learn how to pull turnips up out of the ground using just her butt. This is all reminding me of an anime I watched a couple episodes of a few years back. (laughs) Called Manu Hikenjo. I don't think I re- I don't remember that, so I don't know what that is. It's a series about tit ninjas. Oh, okay. You know what? Now I know what you're talking about. I, I didn't. I never saw it, but I know what you're speaking of. But yeah, I watched a few episodes of it, and it is the tits are wholly secondary. Like like the way like the way that they describe tits in the show, you could replace that with fucking mystical power, and it would all still work. Yeah, the only difference between what you're describing and what I'm describing is that it sort of leans into ridiculous in ways that have to be self aware. Although I have no idea how well they translate, since I don't know the exact alliteration. But when you have a mate, uh, have a, a, an enemy character whose nickname is the the greatest ass eater of the East, I I I, I laugh, but I'm also puzzled. Yeah, uh, in Manu Kencho, <laughs> there is a technique where you can hypnotize people by swinging your tits around. Oh, that's in this too. Yeah, the, it's yeah, a forbidden the- technique called uh, titty hypnosis. Yeah, one of the first things, uh, like when our main character, who has the ability to steal other people's tits, uh, she is on the run and an assassin comes up to get together. And so that lady starts fucking swinging her tits around at such high velocity that we can't see any detail on it. It's like fucking. Whoosh. But it's a technique that will doom you because it makes your boobs really saggy. Yeah. That woman is then defeated yeah. and left with a scroll teaching her how to. Teaching her like various techniques she can use to help like keep her breasts perky for a while. Yeah, that hasn't happened in this yet, and it's more sort of actual, like the slow swaying kind of hypnosis. But it's it hasn't shown up much, and it's it's actually one of the least ridiculous attacks. But like, yeah, where I come from with it, where it is, yeah, yeah, where where it is like taking. A pre-existing genre, adding in just these like super super sexual ideas on paper, but then actually seeing them, they are too ridiculous to be erotic in any way. Yeah, like a girl whose ass, um, when it powers up, looks like a wolf. Like literally. Yes. Like, like she, she even names she, it. She powers up her she, ass, and then the cheeks turn into a wolf. Yeah, you see like a spe- uh, like a, a spirit wolf head over her ass. Oh, so it's like fucking Yamcha attacks. Just yes. goes to do the attack, and then a wolf pops up, and then like, hey, like, hey, it's called fucking wolf, whatever, and then a wolf. 
I yeah. thought it was like I thought it was like you know she like fucking tenses up her fucking ass muscles and then the muscles oh, no. form the shape of a no. wolf. No, it's it's just uh or like when she goes to do the or like when she goes to do the attack, the cheeks like fucking stretch out like a fucking wolf snout. Yeah, no, that hasn't happened yet. Yes. So she, she I I can't predict this show at all. I can't. Like I can predict that it will follow the tropes of a sports anime. But other than that, I am just riding the waves here. Because <laughs> like this <laughs> water pun. Yeah. And like the the, the main character her her, her idol slash teacher literally calls herself um the human butt missile. So <laughs> Okay, moving on, because we can't top that. <laughs> oh. Oh, I, okay, so what else? Okay, well, I guess I, before I get to the angry one, I'll talk about something that's just kind of eh. So, um, this is one of the few anime I think you and Cora haven't talked about, because I don't think either of you have seen it. But I I think at some point I have spoken with you about the orig- the anime called Working. Yes, you have. And yeah. also I've seen other people watch it. Okay. And there's a new series, which it's a sequel series, kind of, in that... um. Like the, I think I guess it's better just call it a spinoff because it's the the same basic premise of a whole bunch of people working in a family restaurant, but it's not the same family restaurant, and none of the original characters return. So it's just taking the name and the basic setup and running with a different setup, a different group of characters and mechanics. Is that Triple W not working? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And. Uh, while acknowledging there were faults with the original series, I still really liked it, despite its massive pacing problems as a slice-of-life series that had 36 episodes. But, um, yeah, no, this this new series is not as good. Because, um, it's weird to say this, because, like, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, like, certain slice-of-life shows, particularly slice-of-life comedies... They kind of work because it's a normal environment with it with mentally abnormal characters. Yeah, that and you and you and you laugh at like the ridiculousness of what happens to them or the inhumane ways they treat each other. Yeah, yeah, but there's I think there's a fine balancing line between cruelly funny and just playing cruel. And on with the with two of the major groups sets of characters, I think they cross the line into just being playing cruel, but they still think it's funny. Uh-huh. So, uh, okay. So the main character, uh, I think his name is Higashida. Uh, his dad is an ass because, and not in like the abusive or like, really restrictive way. In the he takes no shit seriously at all. 
Because, like, he, he, the first episode starts with him saying, Hey, son, I've lost my job. And the whole family's like, Ha, 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 oh, dad, you got fired again. No, this time the company failed. Ha, 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 ha. Oh, dad, you rascal. And the scene's like, By the way, son, uh, because things are more restricted around here, I need to cut off your allowance and take away your phone privileges. Ha, ha, ha. So the son has to work to pay for his to pay his own expenses and to pay for his cell phone which he needs and <laughs> and the father's being an extra dick by bringing the entire family to the restaurant where his son works buying dinner and they saying, excuse me son i seem to have forgotten my wallet will you cover this hundred dollar meal <laughs> well yes that's dick yep and the entire family seems to take seems to pester Higashida for taking anything a modicum seriously, and yeah, I can't really laugh at that because that's just like okay, you characters are too disconnected from reality to take seriously at all. You're just dicks. So, and that part doesn't work, and it gets worse for him at the job because. Um, the floor manager, the person who manages all the waiters and the cooks, uh, is an aspiring cook because her parent, her mother, is a runs a sh- as a as a chef, I think, professional TV chef. But um, she really sucks as a chef. The the floor manager, and not in the like uh, this kind of tastes bad way in the. Her her greatest dream is to make good um, Valentine's Day chocolate, but every time she makes it, people almost die. How? Well, I get something of an idea uh, when she says stuff like, wait, you're not supposed to put any kind of curry into the chocolate mix? Yeah, and the only funny thing that comes out of this is that when the main character um, has several near-death experiences because of this, because basically the rest of the staff have basically decided, okay, we're going to let you deal with her because we can't get her to stop cooking, but we can at least pick a sacrificial lamb. (laughs) Okay. And whenever the first few times he has uh, the chocolate and has a near-death experience, um, he meets his literal guardian angel, St. Valentine, who's this tiny little man in a pope's robes, who says, Oh, shit. You have to stop dying like this. I I know you're, you're trying to do the right thing with this girl who you can't really do anything about, but... Eating this chocolate will kill you. It's just every time you go back, a spiral part of your soul is shaved away. What? Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's all I can really say so, about this. Just This sounds like it's trying to ride the line between being slice of life and absurdist comedy. Yes, and the first series did that better than this, and because I think that it, th- there were broken characters in that, but they were still mostly likable. Like I think, arguably, the most cruel one was the guy who just wanted to know everybody's secrets so he could exploit them for his own benefit. 
but he was one of those characters that because he knew everybody's secrets when people were being fussy around each other because they didn't tell us it, he was like, God damn it, woman! (laughs) (laughs) So they kind of balanced the characters a little better. And, like, the only, like, physical abuse was a character who, um, uh, uh, reflexively punches men. And the reasoning for that is because when um her fa- when her when her mother died, her father took it upon himself to make her both strong and fear men without me- letting her realize it. And the guy that has been taking her abuse for the last few months unloads on him for like a good solid minute or two. He's like, "You are a terrible fucking father." <laughs> So that you, most of the really bad characters get their comeuppance, or they are still enjoyable to watch. In this show, it's not so much, and I haven't even gotten to the pair that's just depressing because uh, one of the cooks ha- makes ha- is deep in debt because of his father's company, and he's expected as part of the family to help pay off that immense debt, and the family he owes the debt to. Their daughter asked him out when he was younger, and he said no. And she's taken that super personally and has made it her life's goal to fuck with him sadistically until he pays off the 300 million yen debt his family owes. Comedy. Yep. To the point where... uh. Oh, you didn't. You weren't able to afford any meat this week. Okay, I got this nice thing with, um, you know, a mixture of some uh, pork and ham, and maybe even a little fish in there too. She gives him cans of dog food. This just sounds depressing. Yep. Like I laugh occasionally, but it's it, the the laughs have worn thin. I've watched like six episodes, and I'm already having a hard time convincing myself to watch another. So, yeah, that okay, one. Okay, then. Okay, now I know Cora mentioned this one, but I don't think he knew how bad it was going to get because he stopped. At, he wisely stopped after the first episode, but I'm a masochist. Occultic Nine. <laughs> how was uh, it? So it, it's not done yet. It's eight episodes out. I've watched them all. And, okay, so... One of the series where I first started to notice bad anime. Like, not anime that everyone knew was bad and I watched out of curiosity, but anime that I watched because I thought it might be good and turned out to be bad was Chaos Head. Which was made by these same people. Yes. And... Chaos Head's biggest problems were that its story was too ambitious for a 12-episode run, and it had too many subplots that dragged itself away from what was kind of an interesting story-telling conceit where the main character is suffering from delusions and has trouble discerning reality from his own delusions, and it turns out that through some sci-fi MacGuffin, his brain has started projecting his delusions onto reality. Cool. I actually had a, I actually had a story concept like that. 
yeah, it's just that it's very badly executed and you you watch the first episode, get invested, get to the twelfth episode, and don't know how you got there. I, to, to borrow a joke from the nostalgia critic, this plot structure makes me feel drunk. <laughs> so, Chaos Head, I will at least say, okay, interesting premise, really badly executed. Occultic Nine's not even really a good premise. Because um, if I, didn't, I told Cora this last night when I finished episode 8. The thing that Occultic Nine re- reminds me of the most is Jupiter Ascending. Oh, that. Because uh, I have my notes that I wrote to Cora here. Let me see. Because it was... Uh, and it, have you seen Jupiter Ascending, or have you just seen reviews of it? I gotten the gist. Okay, so let me go back to my notes and see what I said. But at some point... Coming soon? Yes. <laughs> uh, so, uh, constant exposition, little to no characterization, pointlessly wacky behavior from for some characters, a plot that is stupidly simple despite its overly complicated setup, a character whose design is absurd even by the standards of the series itself. So, I'm sure Cora mentioned soccer ball tits. Uh, he did not. So, in the, in the, you've probably seen. I don't know if you've seen the advertising for this show. Nope. But there's but um. Let's see if I can find this character. Uh, you see, most of the time. Uh, when I'm watching, when I see service, fan service in an anime, it annoys me, but it's, I just kind of move past it. Oh, Jesus. What the fuck? I think you found the character. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ryoka Narusawa. Yep. Who is apparently very happy with um, the... Uh, large cancerous tumors that have formed where supposedly her breasts were supposed to be. Let me just... Wikipedia describes her character as an energetic spirit guide with enormous breasts. Yeah, no, you can't just say with enormous breasts because her breasts are so... Here's the thing. If, if, If the other chicks had large tits that were of comparable size... That would be one thing, but other characters that have tits in this series, they're more normally endowed characters. This character's design is just absurd. Her breasts are the size of her fucking head. Bigger, actually, and the opening, the the ending theme for the series features her her silhouette naked in a birdcage, and it looks like her breasts are trying to eat her. They probably are. Yeah. And because the series just points out that she has big breasts, but does not explain why they are that abnormally huge, it's distracting and breaks the illusion. Not that I was really invested in the illusion anyway, because this series... (sighs) Okay, so the 
stupidly simple plot that is made overly complicated for no real reason. Um, so 256 people in the, in the town of Kichijoji, which is one of the many, many suburbs of Tokyo, commit suicide by just walking themselves into a lake and drowning. Typical so Sunday. You would think, yeah, so you would think that then, given the tendencies of this series, uh, that the plot would be to find out what happened to those people and solve the mystery of what caused 256 people to die. And yeah, what led to this mass suicide? Characters. What led to this mass suicide that then ties into some insane conspiracy sci-fi plot? Yeah, well, they explain that by episode six. <laughs> and it's 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 like umbrella it's like umbrella company dumb because basically this cult has developed the technology to reliably tie the soul to earth and they are going to market it to the rich as a form of immortality for profit so they had to test it on the 256 people they had guinea-pigged the drugs with. What does that even mean? So, like, everybody dies and the, sp- the soul goes somewhere, right? If-, if you believe that the soul exists. Yeah, sure. Their drugs... I guess, give them the ability to monitor the existence of souls on Earth and, like, keep track of them. Like, even if the person who soul that they are tracking is dead. So they made a drug to geotag souls? Yes. Or at least to make sure that souls that have... People who have taken this drug, their souls will not leave Earth. That. To people out there developing some kind of immortality thing for the purpose of profit, the draw of immortality. Is the consequence free living? It is you can do whatever you want. You become total hedonism. You become like you become like hedonism personified. You're like fucking hedonism bot from Futurama, and you do all that because nothing of because nothing that you do will ever hurt you. And so it so it just like starts compiling on itself. So you get do so you get so you're able to do more and more insane things. The sticking point is that you need to be alive to do it. Yep. So, like, hey, yeah, your soul will stay on Earth forever. You can't eat and don't have a dick, so... This is going to be a fucking boring-ass existence. Like, yeah, the end... The the fucking end game of any goddamn immortality plot is that the person who is now immortal realizes, oh, wait, I've made a horrible mistake. I now just want to die, but fucking can't, so now I am just fucking a walking corpse basically yeah before that before that there is fun there is like that like initial few decades or centuries or whatever 
of just fucking wild debauchery. This this whole plan is is like, hey, I'm alive forever. Then five minutes later, why can't I die? Basically, yes. Just if you are going to if you are going to design uh, some kind of immortality thing for profit, you need to make sure they have a body that can feel things. Otherwise, like like that like that's what the fucking question mark step is. Like like their whole like their whole yes. plan is like step one tie soul to earth step two question mark step three profit. Yeah. And also, uh, the other part of the twist about the whole, about this drug and its stupidity, uh, all of the main characters are dead. They pulled a Shyamalan, but with 20 people. Fucking what? Okay, so the event with the 256 people drowning stuff thing happens in episode three. And you're introduced to most of the major characters prior to that. But you don't know, um, but the characters don't figure out they're dead until the end of episode six. And it's one of those, like, stupid implausibilities where they apparently, for several days, only talked to people that were also ghosts. Like, I know, like, 256 people sounds like a lot, but not in Tokyo. (laughs) Yeah, 256 people is, like, a subway car. Yeah. So, apparently, none of these people talked to anyone outside of the 256 people that were also dead. And thus, until someone read off the list of the people who committed suicide, no one knew they were dead. I... I find that hard to believe. Look, dude, you're selling this hard enough, but I was fucking sold that this was a fucking shit show when I read the description as when I read the description of this sh- of the series, which is, and I quote, "The story follows nine idiosyncratic individuals." The fact that the only word they could think of to describe the characters of the group is idiosyncratic. Yeah, but that also that also screams to the other problem with this, is, which is why I re- re- compared it to Jupiter Ascending. These characters talk constantly, which I know, adapt, adaptation of a visual novel, I know that's going to happen. But at least in Steins Gate, when characters talked, you got a sense of who they were as characters. Yeah, also like, this wasn't based off of a based off visual novel, it was based off a light novel. Similar concept, just it, it's a light novel... That has it's it's a novel that has not been turned into a video game yet. It's same author, which though. is rare. Yeah, but it's it's that same thing with Jupiter Ascending, where it doesn't have the same like monotone, no emotion style of acting as that. But characters just talk constantly about anything except who they are as characters. Yeah, like I, goddamn, love Steins Gate. Yeah. And a lot of what made Steins Gate work was the dialogue, but because, I mean, yeah, they did talk about plot stuff occasionally, but you got a sense of who uh, 
Makise Kurisu, uh, Hyo and Kyoma, uh, what is Fatty's name? I can't, I missed, I know Mr. Braun, uh, Suzukaze. Damn it, I cannot remember Fatty's name. Daru. Uh, Daru, okay. Whenever yeah, I, I, I was thinking of his name, I was just thinking of Squishy Green Banana. He is a um, super hacker. He's so cool! <laughs> <Love> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, like it, there is more dialogue in Occultic Nine's first eight episodes than I think in the entire first half of Steins Gate, but most of its exposition and most of its talking about sci-fi or occult topics, not about the characters themselves. And yeah. you can't really do you can't really do that with an ongoing series. Because it was bad enough in a two-hour-plus movie like Jupiter Ascending in a 12-episode, roughly, what does that equate out to, about six hours of television. You can't do that. Yeah, no. <laughs> that. Like, the only character, that the only character that got any kind of characterization is the craziest of them. Because when her brother died, as a result of... Um, an accident after uh, it was, he, he he she suffered kidney failure. He, she got one of her brother's kidneys to live. He died in an accident, and she spent the next year in the house with his corpse, imagining that it was the best year of her life until people started showing up about the smell. Sorry, I blacked out for a second. What? <laughs> Do you need me to explain it again, or? I prefer you didn't. <laughs> uh, like I said, this is this feels like the writer had a whole bunch of stuff he wanted to talk about and made up a premise that would allow him to talk about them, but didn't actually write a story. Yeah. So coming soon. <laughs> I'm not sure if you'll like this one. <laughs> we need to bring the anime club back somehow, dude. Yeah. Well, I guess, yeah, you, me, and Cora are all uh, Steinsgate fans. We could all rip this apart. Or maybe maybe do Chaos Head first. Because that one... Ease into the insanity and shit. Yeah, and Chaos Head is more interesting, I think, to talk about than Occultic Nine. Its problems are more interesting. Okay, well, anything else you got? Uh, yes. Uh, well, we're on stay on the sci-fi track. I'm going to talk about one of my favorite manga ever, Planetus. Have I mentioned this to you before? You have not. Okay, so I watched the anime back when it was still possible to get it, because it's one of the Bandai dubs, and it hasn't been saved by Funimation yet, so it's basically in legal limbo. But uh, the manga had been released earlier. It just was never released stateside. But they recently released the entire series in two giant omnibuses, which I picked up for about five bucks each. Uh, so the basic premise is that Earth has... Humans have traveled into space pretty regularly now. I think it's, uh, 27, uh, it's uh, 2275 is the timeline where the story is taking place. Um... But because people have been going into space so much, there is now a problem with space debris. And this is um, symbolized in the first few pages of the series by a space cruise liner uh, 
ascending into orbit, and a nail about a bolt about the size of one of my knuckles um, goes through the uh, space shuttle and cracks it in half. Yeah, that's... That's... Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> There's just a whole lot of shit up there. Yeah. Like, even now. Oh, yeah. No. And because and, th- and because uh, there is essentially no drag, <laughs> it's basically just bullets everywhere. <laughs> yep. I think, I think they said that... Um, Orbital speed is often around um, 38 meters a second. Yeah, that fast. <laughs> so, the main characters of this series, one of which is uh, uh, Hachirota Maki, who's called Hachimaki, uh, are a group of uh, space debris collectors. So, you've got Fee... You've got Hachi, and um, the character who I like the most, who spoke the least, uh, what is his name? It's uh, Yuri. And Yuri was one of the few people that survived the uh, space cruiser cracking that I told you about. He managed to get to one of the spacesuits before it, uh, before the whole thing exploded. Yeah, his well, wife was sucked out into space, <laughs> as you do. But just uh, for for our American viewers. Uh, 38 meters per second trend, uh, translates to roughly 85 miles an hour. Yep. Because of science. And there's no re- there's no friction reducing that speed either, so it's just... Nope. It is just fucking... Whatever it hits is going to feel the full force of that 85 miles per hour. <laughs> yep. <sighs> but yeah, so... And the main character, um, despite being a space garbage man, he wants to be on one of the uh, space missions going to Jupiter. Because they've already gotten to Mars by this point in the timeline. That took a while. His dad was one of the guys on the Mars mission. But Jupiter round trip takes seven years. Yeah. So, but he has to be trained for that. He has to be psychologically able to deal with the loneliness of such a trip. And that's really kind of the big issue that he's... Hachimaki's the main character in that he's become such a cynic about space. Because, like, I guess when you spend... the The majesty of space starts to lose its meaning when you spend every waking hour picking up space garbage. It also doesn't help about the fucking space PTSD. Yeah. And actually, they talk about some of his worst experiences pretty early on. Like, uh, one time, um, the the person who's administering the shit that he's bringing the the debris they collect to misjudges the orbit of one of the, um, the, the, uh, what's the term? Um, uh, decrease, decreasing orbit? No. Um, no, but the the, the or it's essentially spinning down towards Earth. Basically, its orbit is breaking down. Um, she misjudges it, and um, Hachi gets 
separated from the ship for several hours, so he is floating in the dead of space, spinning, unable to see anything for several hours. And even though he suffers no severe injuries as a result of this, he is psychologically fucked up for quite a while afterwards. <laughs> to the point where um, a, a requirement for uh, deep space operations licenses is the ability to survive a sensory deprivation tank for at least four hours. He lasts 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's really interesting seeing stuff like that. Like, uh, have you heard like there, there's that room? There's like a room in like Sweden or something that has so much like baffling in it that it is the quietest room on the planet. I can believe that. I've yeah. never seen it, but I can believe it. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. People go in there and they can't last like more than a minute before they just start going insane. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> because it's like we need. Sound. Sensory input. We need yeah. to be able to know that there are there is something else beyond where we are. Otherwise, that starts fucking with us. Like, is this it really isn't anything? But like for me, I can't be in a house that doesn't have electricity on. Yeah, I can believe it. Like, like, uh, like a couple times we've had like the power go out around here, and. I have legitimately almost just, like, fucking stolen our car and just, like, broken through a goddamn garage door and just driven to anywhere there was electricity. Because without just that, without the fucking sound. Oh, fuck. It's making me uncomfortable just thinking about it. Yeah, I can imagine. And also, um... Another thing space missions sometimes do that uh, this one's a lot better at than most is that most of them, whenever they discuss concepts like uh, emotions tied to space travel, they tend to be rather cloying. Like, Interstellar is one of the worst, in my opinion, because (laughs) it just so fails to make me invested at all. Fucking Interstellar. But, um... Turns out if you go far enough in space, you end up in the fucking fractal bookshelf. Yep. That's what that movie's about, right? (laughs) Matthew McConaughey telling his kid, hey, love ya. From, like, space or whatever. Yeah, it's... To stop the dust bowls. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a lot of nothing is all I'm gonna say, but um oh so it's a Christopher Nolan movie then got it. <laughs> but the main character, what a lot of uh, so there's like opposing factions. There's like people who think that humans shouldn't go into space because we essentially did in space what we used to do with colonies, where in order to avoid fixing our own problems, we just go somewhere else. So a contingent of humans have basically decided to try to cut off human access to space so that we won't poison the universe. And what some of the and Hachi, of course, because he loves space, doesn't agree with those people. He's confronted with uh, friends of his in the space station who are actually members of this contingent who say, 
you know, Pachi, you're still a bit too, you care still a little bit too much about humanity. You can't be, space has a tendency to make you rather self-centered and hard-hearted. And as long as you haven't gone that path yet, I don't need to kill you. Wait, what the fuck? I mean, the guy's a terrorist. He blew up a section of a space station that sucked 40 people out into the vacuum. He's willing to kill people to get what he wants. Okay. But he, yeah. likes, he likes Hachi enough that at first, when Hachi's trying to tell him to stop, it's like, look, Hachi, I don't agree with you, but you're not bad enough to kill yet. Okay, I think I might have missed something there. Yeah. So he's a, a, a running subplot throughout the series is that... um the fourth member who is comes on early in the series, uh, Tanabe Yui, or I, I think it's her, her first name's I. Yeah, um, she sort of serves as that that young romantic who is trying to inject some degree of uh, human sympathy into space, where Hachi is just sort of cold hard logic, and she does work on him a little a bit throughout the series, but it takes a long time, and it takes. Several instances where he's confronted with, it would be much easier for him as a person to just leave this person to die in space or on the moon, but he just can't bring himself to do it. The moon's in space. Yeah, but you know what I mean. It's like on the surface of something versus just floating in the void. Space is goddamn terrifying. Yeah, and one of the big um, revelations for the main character late in the series is that he is sort of, as he when he's finally given permission to join on the Jupiter mission, his mind is finally confronted by just how vast the universe is in a, in a very real, soon-to-be-experienced sense, and he just shuts down mentally because he can't process, he's trying to process it, but he can't. Yeah, I... Yeah, there was some kind of... Like, like when, I met, when I mentioned space PTSD earlier, I wasn't I wasn't just, like, making a joke. Like, there is actually a thing. Oh, yeah. No, where, I'm sure there where, is. We're, like, astronauts who, uh... We're astronauts who, like, go out into space and then just see Earth. As it is. Like, like seeing it from like that higher plane, like seeing it from that perspective, fucks with them in a way that they could never have imagined. And like, yeah. like, the, and like, there are like interviews with people who first went out into space, and and they're like, you know, talking, they're like having a hard time remembering like what they're supposed to say, kind of like stuttering and just like really messing up all their words and stuff. And like conspiracy theorists have taken that as like, see, they're fucking up their lines. Moon landing was fake, but no, it's just they were confronted with something. They, they got a whole comprehend. new perspective. <laughs> yeah, they got a whole new perspective on literally everything they thought they knew. Yep, and it's fucking with them. Yeah, and it's just like by the end of the series, the main character is off on the Jupiter mission, and he's. Through with I's help, he sort of come to grips with what he need. That's the fact that in order to launch yourself out into the infinite void, you need to care enough about what you're leaving behind to want to live through it. 
and he was struggling with that for the longest time because he was he he was surly at first, but at points he was borderline suicidal with how not caring about anything else he was acting. But by the end of the series, he's figured out what it is he loves about humans enough to care enough to concentrate fully on the mission with the goal of returning. Okay. And there's this there's this sweet scene at the end where uh I is talking with um Fee, who's the uh, ship captain that they worked with on the space debris collection together. And uh at some point in the middle of the second volume, uh Maki proposed to I. And it was kind of one of it, most of the time when Japan does um a bad sort of like wordplay pun humor it doesn't really work but um they apparently in japan they play this game where you're supposed to say a word and then the next person says another word that starts with the last syllable of the of the previous word oh yeah yeah i know that game uh they yeah that was that's a fairly that, that is a recurring element of i am a hero yeah and when I and uh, Maki are playing this game while working on the mission, um, uh, Maki is left with a word that ends in K-E, which there are not that many Japanese words that start with K-E. A lot of them end that way, but not a lot of them begin that way. And he says, Kekon shio, which is the, means marry me. Okay. Yeah, and they do, they get this across in the anime by having them play Scrabble and do the same thing, basically. <laughs> Which is not quite as romantic, because in the anime, in the manga, when he says this, they're looking at the moon from, like, two miles away. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> proposing to somebody, proposing to somebody through a like a cultural tie while staring out into the fucking beautiful void carries a bit more weight to it than Milton Bradley. Yeah. And the only reason I brought this up is because the, one of the last scenes in the manga, Fee is asking, did you really marry that guy? And she's like, yeah. It's, it's like, why? Oh, uh, it's the first guy that asked me really. <laughs> and she goes off and lists all these things that she finds annoying about him. Like he's loud, he's rude. He's being to his brother. He's often kind of messy. He's a bit of a horn dog. And then if asks, like, do you really love that guy? And then I just says, yes, very much. Okay. And then, then. She, and, and, that, and then Fee just says what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then fuck it, I guess. Yeah. And it ends on a, Somewhat hopeful note because Hachi has reached Jupiter and he's preparing a message to send back to Earth about the upcoming mission on to de- to uh, to develop the first colony on Jupiter. And um, I guess I should mention this since it's a manga, but the illustrations are gorgeous. And I don't know this. Hold on, let me get the book. Let me see if I can. Find the Arthur. P- 
Hello? Hello? Okay. Um, yeah, so it's, I had to get this out. All right, so it's both written and drawn by Makoto Yukimura. And if I had to describe it, it's like if you crossed Akira's character design with uh, Naoki Urasawa's level of detail. Well, that is okay. Yep. Like, nothing really all that uh, funky looking, but you see all the little contours of the face. You see shadowing on parts of the nose or ears. You see, like, sunken in eyes or scraggly beard, all kinds of little ship and, like, background details in space. So if you really loved how brilliantly detailed the artwork in any Naoki Urasawa story is, but you like it applied to something a little... Because the only thing I don't like about Naoki Urasawa's style is that he often has weird character traits facially. If you know what I mean. Yeah, kind of. But no, there's none of that in here, and it's it's a gorgeous book. And if you get the omnibus collections, it includes all of the uh, color issues, the, uh, the color pages that were added later for deluxe editions. Okay. And also, yeah. and also, I feel I should say, uh, while Scrabble was a Milton Bradley game prior to 1999, since 1999, it has been released uh, through Hasbro and their Parker Brothers division. Okay. Outside of North America, though, it is uh, by, it is owned by Mattel. I want to get my jokes right. Okay. So yeah, one of my favorite series ever. Okay, cool. It's for such a short manga. It's a really good read. It's only two omnibus volumes, and they're still fairly cheap. Got anything else then? Uh, no. I th- uh, well, I mean. <laughs> I think Cora exhaustively talked to you about um, Detective Conan, the Phantom of Baker Street. Yes, he did. I, I'm not sure I can really add anything to um, what he described. <laughs> okay, then. Because it's just... It's like if you crossed Sword Art Online with like a, with like a terrible rendition of Sherlock Holmes. Okay, then. That certainly sounds like a thing. As did yeah. when we, as I, did the th- fucking thing when we talked about with Cora last time. Yeah. And I, pu- I found this out later when I was on rightstuff.com. Um, they have a lot of the Conan movies for sale on DVD. The only one that's sold out is that one. <laughs> Okay, then. So, so, yeah, that's it for me. Okay, then. So, before we move on to my stuff, we're going to be taking a quick break. We'll be right back, folks. 
right back, folks. Sorry about that. I got an ice cream sandwich. So, start off. So, I have three things to talk about. Going to be going in ascending order of amount I've read slash watched. So, March comes in like a lion. Oh. I watched the first episode. Yeah, Cora's been talking to me about this one. I haven't watched it yet. It is... Uneven. From what I know about the writer from who did Honey, Honey and Clover also, that seems fairly true. So, Cora's talked about this series at length. And yeah, it's about a kid, his name, I think is... It translates to zero. I can't remember. I can't remember his actual name, but yeah, his family died, and then he kind of shut himself off in the world after being adopted by like his father's rival in chess or shogi, I guess. Yeah, shogi. And then he ended up becoming a professional shogi player. Rarely goes outside or goes to school or does anything. And his only real human interaction is with these three sisters. Who teach him what it is to be human again. And so I went in with I went into this with a with certain expectations. I've From seen what I've seen a finding clover, it's hard not to. I no, so I no I, my expectations had nothing to do with honey and clover. Okay. My expectations were based on the genre and like the description that I just gave of just some fucking just some fucking loner shitbird asshole going through his horrible traumatic family stuff and personal issues and then being dragged back into being a human being th- through, you know, his nice younger neighbors or whatever. Ah, uh, yes. The, uh, what was that series? Uh, uh, My Lion April. Yeah, shit like that. And so that's what I, that's what I expected it to be. And at the start of it, it kind of was. Because it actually does a lot of really, it does a lot of really well done and fairly heavy, uh, fairly heavy visual storytelling. Like we, like when, uh, so he, so the guy like, so the kid like wakes up, uh, he is living in his like one bed, like bachelor apartment by himself. He goes off and plays a shogi. He goes off to be able to play a shogi match, and the guy comes in. And he and his opponent comes in. He is older than him, but has you know history with him and stuff. And then they play, and it is not. It's just, it's like listed as a sports anime, but it very much isn't because while the shogi does play a fairly nothing I've seen looks like nothing I've seen makes it look like a sports anime. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like while while the while the while like the game does play a fairly significant aspect in terms of his character, it is never shown or played or anything like a actual sports anime. It is like like when, like when we see uh when we see him play shogi, there is no flair to it. There is no like real sound like all the sound editing is just the tack of the like pieces going down and then the and the like wood rubbing against wood as they align their pieces so that they're perfectly in the middle of their squares. 
There is no discussion of the moves they do. There is no an out. There is no analysis of the moves they do. There is no explaining the rules. It's just these people play shogi. Now let's get into these people. And it does a decent job of showing that these two have a history. He has a history with their kids. Uh, kids do not like this guy very much. And then we also learned through, you know, just overhearing that that I think that w- I think like that was the the elder man's final attempt to like upgrade to like the next level or something or get into a club. And because he lost, he didn't get into it. Yeah, well, Chorus told me a little bit about where the story goes afterwards, and it's some screwed up shit. But since neither you nor I have seen it, I don't really feel that comfortable talking about it. It's just, it sounds like it leans heavily on the dark melodrama. (laughs) Yeah, and that is like, that is like for the good, like for the first like 10 minutes of this episode, that's kind of what this is. Then he gets a text. Saying, hey, come over for dinner, bring this, this, and this. And so he's like, okay, I'll bring it over. He gets to their house, and it becomes Nietzsche Joe. Uh, okay. Like, a little girl comes outside, sees him, and is like, yeah, and they start jumping up and down, kind of like the doctor in Nietzsche Joe did, while holding a cat. The cat's fucking freaking out. And then we get to hear the internal monologue of the cat. Then we get inside, there is a second cat, and it is just fucking non-stop energy and fucking absurdist slice-of-life comedy. And the and the main character is just experiencing it. Yeah, this sounds like something Cora would want to talk about a lot, and it also sounds like... Um what was that series? Uh, Honey and Clover. Yeah, you, you, you get what I'm talking about when I say it's uneven, right? It is. Yeah, no, it's it. I mean, anime has a tendency to swing back and forth in tone, anyway. But this sounds like it's just jarring. Yeah, like it starts out like a incredibly serious, dramatic story about this kid and the personal struggle he's going through. And then all of a sudden it's a fucking high and all of a sudden it's a fucking middle school student dashing out the door with fucking, you know, weird bracket things for eyes as she just fucking glides off into a fucking flower print while he's just staring at her like, wait, no, your keys. It doesn't exactly gel. I can imagine. Like I mentioned like a hard switch before, but th- like this switch is with a fucking audible thud. As like the fucking thing just moves over, the the yeah, the gears don't so much clunk as like crack to pull into place. Yeah, and it is damn near instantaneous. Like fucking even the when that fucking little girl first shows up, she doesn't even look like she's from the same show. Like up up to now, it has all been very much grounded anime designs it is it is this this is anime drama this is standard portion characters who don't have a lot of visual flair to them who are just 
representations of real people, basically. And then all of a sudden, the girl from that fucking hamster show shows up. Yeah, I have not seen that kind of ridiculous tunnel distance since I talked about Divergence Eve. It is a hard-ass swing. You remember what I said about Divergence Eve? I do not even remember what Divergence Eve is. Uh, series, sci-fi horror series that looks like Tenchi Muyo. Oh, right, that. Like ridic- yeah, ridiculous tits. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was eating an ice cream sandwich. That's fine. What did you have to kill for a Klondike? Uh, well, actually, a selection brand Lunar Bars. <laughs> I can't afford Klondikes. <laughs> That's fucking what seven bucks for a box of four. This was tw- this was five bucks for a box of twelve. Okay. Fucking Klondikes. What do you think I am? A person with a successful Patreon campaign that you can find at patreon.com slash ddprod to help support the site? No, that's why I can't. That's why you're not paying me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, patreon.com slash ddprods linked in the link in the description as well as in the sidebar. So, besides tonal unevenness, is there anything else you have to say? Because there's actually something else I forgot to talk about. God damn it. It's like an hour and a half. It's, but it's not, it's not, it's just, I want to ask you questions about it, because you've read it. Okay, I don't really have anything else to say about this, like, it is. Technically, it's all well done, like, I li- like all the animation's really good in both sides of it. Like, you know, the dramatic stuff is... Very well done. It is all very like Spartan animation, and I I actually really like the way that they do. I like the way that they uh, do like the world and other characters besides our main guy, because it is all it's all like almost washed out watercolor looking, and and it really does help sell like how this guy sees the world. And then when we get into the more energetic, frenetic stuff, it it has the energy to it. It is able to it's able to move at a clip that that like keeps things going so that you don't get a chance to think too much about what the fuck you're just looking at after what you just saw with the other shit. Yeah, I'll yeah. probably keep watching this. It is interesting. To say the least. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Someone showed me a gameplay. Just showed me a gameplay trailer for Mass Effect Andromeda. Okay. Well, so what's the thing on ask me so, about? Yeah. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> yeah. All I need to do is that, and then I'm fucking in. <laughs> I like this show, but it has, uh, <laughs> um, Kota Hirano's sense of humor has never really worked for me. That's fair. 
And I think it's actually worse here than it was in Helsing. Okay. Because, I, I mean, yeah, the premise is fanfic. I, I, I talked about this with Cora recently, that everything Code Hirano does feels like it's fan fiction that just has a professional production budget. Because, yeah, it kind of is. Like, like, like think, thinking about it, what has Kota Hirano done that has been entirely of his own creation, not relying on any other pre-existing material? Porn. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'm dead serious. He worked on porn for several years before he did made Helsing. That does not surprise me. <laughs> uh. So yeah, uh, for anyone who hasn't watched Drifters, uh, people from throughout time, when they die, one of two beings shows up to pull them into a world that is basically a staging ground for a war. Uh, on one side, you have the titular Drifters, who are defenders of humanity, led by uh, what's that guy's name, Murasaki. Think the guy at the newspaper and the cigar. Well, not lead. He he's the one who brings them over. Yeah, he he, do, he doesn't give them any direction. He doesn't give them any orders. He just brings them over and then reads a newspaper where then it tells them what's happening. the The leaders, because technically there are two, are uh, Toyohisa and Oda Nobunaga, or. Uh, Abe no Seme, who's the... Uh, well, guess, he, he... He shows up later, I guess. I'm not sure. He, he he's not, From the looks of the episode, at least I just saw, he's not. He's just going to show up occasionally. While he does run the Magician's Guild there, he's not given orders to anybody except people who were already working for him. Fucking Nobunaga and Toyohisa, they're not going to fucking listen to what that shitbird has to say. Yeah. So, um, things get bloody pretty quick when, uh, Yo, uh, what is his name? As- is it like Asu no Yoichi, I think? I-, I hate the Japanese names before they switch to a more Western convention of how their names are constructed because it's impossible to remember. But, uh, a super pretty boy with bow and arrow, Oda Nobunaga, and Toyohisa. I know his name's Yoichi, I just can't remember what his full name is. Uh, both all end up in the same rough general area. They save some elves from some abusive shit fuck um, medieval Nazis. And we mean that literally. Yeah, because it's revealed that the person who created the medieval empire that these knights serve is Hitler. Yep. Straight up. And no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah, and that's hardly the weirdest. And this is one of the questions I asked. Sorry, I'm not entirely certain, but is the leader of the ends Jesus? Uh yes. Okay, I, that's what I thought. Yeah, but. I yeah I was yeah I saw that I was like oh oh oh. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the other guy is a uh, Nasu no Yuichi. Okay, yeah, I, I I couldn't remember the first name. Uh, but the, like stuff from before the. Kamakura Shokunin. I don't remember that well. But yeah, they, it's Toyohisa, Oda Nobunaga, <laughs> Nasa no Yoichi, 
Hannibal Barca, Scipio Africanus, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah, and uh, whatever the... Um, a World War II fighter pilot and a World yeah, War II fucking naval captain. Yeah, naval admiral. Yeah, and then guys who have yet to show up in the anime but showed up in the manga. The Sacred Band of Thebes. Okay. Sounds like fun. Which, according to this description, a Greek troop made up entirely of pairs of male lovers. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll give... <laughs> I will give Kota Hirano this. In his fanboyism, he's incredibly... He's incredibly detailed. Oh, yeah, he... He kind of goes. Like, there is a lot of information going on in here. Yeah, and... Like, at first I was sort of confused by the concept of the ends, but then I was like, oh, so these are all people who were probably good... Uh, at, Probably good people in the previous life, but life fucked them over, so they've said, fuck humanity, and were made evil. Exactly. They were driven insane yeah. because of their own... Like, they were driven insane and to hate humans because of the way that humans treated them, which is how yeah. Jesus came to be the leader of the bad guys. Yeah. Also in there, Joan of Arc. <laughs> yep. And, uh... Um... What is that? Ugh. Hey, Rasputin's one of them, I know. I think he was just... He was evil. I, I, I don't even know what he was. I, I, I'm not that familiar with Russian history, but I'm pretty sure the the missing... Anastasia Romanoff is also one of them, I think. She's the one with the ice powers? Yes. Okay. And I don't know about Gildre, but I don't know that much about the... Joan of Arc myth, other than the broad strokes, so I might have just missed that part. Uh, yeah, uh, but, according um, to this, Gildere was uh, her companion in arms, and then after she was accused of witchcraft and burned, he decided that she he decided that he would meet her in hell and just became a fucking horrible person. Yeah. Okay. That's about what. So yeah, again, incredibly detailed in a lot of things, but he's also I'm not sure to feel about how. Some anime weirdness, I feel like I just can't escape with him. Like, with the weird pantomime alchemist. Which one is he again? Uh, the man who acts like a woman and wears more makeup than any of the women in the show. Oh, the Count of St. Germain. Clown. Yeah, the, cl the clown hair. And... Uh, <laughs> yeah, see, a lot of that stuff falls into what Kota Hirano finds funny, and it's just, for to me, it's just mostly grating. Like all of his little, like intentionally badly animated joke scenes between the characters. I know they're jokes, but I just don't find them particularly funny. So when there's a particularly drawn out one, I just groan. Yeah, they can go for a bit too long, but I, I kind of like them. Yeah, it's, they bother me. Yeah, so it just... is like Cor and I have talked about this a lot uh, when talking about the show, but it's never until you see a new Kota Hirano series until you realize like it's never until you it's never until you see a new Kota Hirano series that you realize that nobody can do anything like Kota Hirano. 
No. Kota Hirano like, is such a distinct voice yeah. and what, like which... look in in the manga scene that it is surprising that we keep forgetting how unique he actually is. Well, because it's it's a little different. Because uh, like uh, he's kind of like Masami Obari in that when you see something Obari's worked on, you're like, oh, this is an Obari thing. But Obari works a lot more consistently than Hirano does. <laughs> so like Hirano's done. Has he done anything other than Helsing and Drifters? I don't think so. Yeah. Because I was pretty sure, like, a Drifter started, the manga started a few years ago. I was pretty sure he started Drifters almost immediately after he finished Helsing. Yeah, Drifter started in 2009. Yeah. And Helsing ended in 2008. Yeah. The only other thing that's bothered me so far is uh, inconsistent sexism from Toyohisa. <laughs> He's from a different era. Yeah, but it's like it. it it's. I was about to say it. Yeah, it, I was supposed to. I was about to forgive it for the timeline things, but then I was like, "Well, then why does he have?" Uh, as uh, Nobunaga calls her, Bubinu, helping him on the battlefield. If he won't kill a woman, fair point. So that maybe to me just smacked. A, maybe because a, that, maybe because uh, fucking what's her tits. She was there solely in a support role. Maybe, but it, that just smacks of we wanted a way to for Toyohisa to win this fight without killing one of the principal antagonists. Yeah, that's fair. So that bothered me a little bit, but other than that, um, I don't really have that many other complaints about it because I, I just wanted to ask you some questions since you, you were a big. I knew, I remember you talking about the manga even before the anime came out. I have never read the manga. Really? Nope. Because okay, someone else must have. Maybe uh, Pudge talked about the manga. Probably Pudge. Maybe that's a, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but I remember discussions of the manga beforehand, and it's just. God, this is this might be even this is I I feel fairly uh, safe in saying this is more Kota Hirano than even Helsing is. Oh yeah, this is this is Kota Hirano distilled, and I am enjoying it. It's probably one of the best of this of this of the season so far. Absolutely. I guess that is one of those things when you are such a singularly distinct vision. The problems with that vision are gonna are gonna smack you in the face. Yeah, and I, I mentioned this with Cora, but it is surprising how he was able to write both sides, like both the drifters and the ends, as these just fucking insane, combat hungry lunatics, but still managing to have the uh, still managing to have the drifters feel like actual heroes. Yes. Because, like, if if you look at, uh, like, the way the ends do things and the way that the drifters do things, they're not that different. No. And even, and uh, both Olminu and Abe and Osami point out, yeah, the way some of these guys act is no different from the ends. However, the show has gone out of its way to show that the drifters care about innocent people. Yeah, to an extent. Well, I do say innocent, like, like, like if it, yeah. like, uh, 
like one of the reasons that they uh, one of the reasons they initially like start this whole thing was because of they they saw like they saw like the you know the guys from the Orte Empire fucking with the elves and the elves were like hey we are peaceful we don't want any of this shit and so all of them got really pissed off and then fucking just went to town on those fuckers and then Nobunaga was like oh we can use this and and like uh, when we introduced the pilot from World War Two the thing that gets him into the fight is seeing people being burned by dragon fire and having flashbacks to the bombing of fucking Nagasaki and Hiroshima. Well, I mean, that, well, that, no, that was not the, a, I don't think those were the A bombs. I think those were just the incendiary bombings that happened all over Japan for months leading up to the A bombing. Ba-da-ba-ba. The bombing of, yeah, it was a, the, yeah, the bombing of Tokyo. That was, that's what it was. Yeah, so that that would have just been one of the many, many rounds of incendiary bombs that were dropped on Japan. Still, point stands. Yeah, yeah no, it does. I mean, I mean, it bothers me from a historian studying the period perspective, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, any any fiction with historical ties is going to piss off some kind of historian. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no. But yeah, and, like, the point the point carries is that he is driven to he is driven to do what he does in the series by being reminded of the horrible atrocities committed to the innocent people of his country. Yeah. And there's a fucking great bit in the most recent episode where he runs into Scipio or CPO. Yeah, I know I saw that where uh he he says the guy said he says in Latin Roma and he's like, "Oh, you're Italian." You fucking son of a bitch, you're the enemy. Yeah, like like when he first shows up, it's like, oh, a white guy, you must be fucking American. What are you? And then they start fighting, and he just goes to Rome, and then he's like, oh, the Axis. Yeah. Right, hey, buddy, bro. And then he remembers, oh, wait, Italy fucked us. And they go right back to fighting. Yeah, I just loved how ir- how irritated the man, the wolfmen were. <laughs> yeah, just, well, the sky god's really pissed off again. <laughs> Shit. Yeah, it's kind of great. It's going to be a while before that. If I can, I don't think I'll ever. I'll have trouble getting the opening theme song for this series out of my head. It's a real good theme. Riding, twisting, turning, driving. It's, yeah, I, I can't remember all the lyrics, but the the theme sticks in the head. Yeah, I don't know if it is like it. Is this a Japanese band doing the theme? I think it is because like, their English is really good. Yeah, sometimes. Well, sometimes you have people whose English is really good, and I've noticed that a lot in some recent Japanese English parts of subtitled anime. But uh, yeah, no, sometimes it's good. Yeah, one of the shittier things about switching over to being to like using Spotify for all my music streaming is that they don't have any of the anime openings that I had on my phone downloaded. Yeah, I've noticed that, and it's, it annoys me how hard it is to find some versions of anime openings. Yeah, like I, like I just want to. I was like, hey, you know what? I'm bored. I want to. I want to listen to the fucking One Punch Man opening, and then all I got are fucking 19 horseshit covers by YouTube artists. Yeah, the, I kind of that same thing when I tried to buy. Um, like, aside from a set few anime soundtrack writers, it is very hard to find original anime tracks. 
Like, basically, if you're not, um, what's her name from, uh, Ghost in the Shell, uh, shit, uh, Yoko Kano, unless you're Yoko Kano, most of the time you're not going to get mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So, yeah, nah, 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 nah. All right, so sorry about the 20-minute uh, distraction. Continue. So yeah, Mars comes in like a lion. I'm going to keep on this for a bit, see where this goes, see if things gel a bit more. Moving on, uh, I started reading a brand new manga in that it is three chapters in. So it's called Demon's Plan. I've seen this, but I haven't read it. Yeah, so uh, there are two guys, Boro and Carlos. Uh, they are they live in this town where every few years or so, uh, if you have a million dollars, you can go and try to be, and you can go and like put yourself in the in like the you know running to be a chosen one of the demons' plan, which is this box that can grant any wish you want. Uh, when we see it work, a guy like you know puts his hand in the box and then. And then a fucking weird demon hand pops out, grabs his hand, and then all of a sudden he can walk because he was in a wheelchair. And they're like, oh, fuck, we need to do this. Yay. And so the two of them have been. So these two guys who are who have been friends since they were kids, they always with each other. Uh, Boro is the boss and Carlos is just his bro, his buddy. So the two of them have been working their asses off for like 10 years or so. Working up, you know, a million bucks. And they get it, and that and earlier that week, somebody broke into, you know, the guy who has the demons playing thing. He broke into his house and stole some of his money. Corrupt cops then show up and try to take the money, but and try to take the money and arrest them both. And Carlos knocks out Boron and says, "Hey, leave the money. Take me. I'll confess to everything." Once he gets there, he learns that the demon's plan is fake. It's all just a scam to rip off people from fucking their hard-earned money. Then an actual demon shows up, uh, kills everybody in that, kills everybody in the jail and like in the surrounding area except Carlos, making him demon powers. Then Poro shows up and gets his own demon powers. And then our what are the demon powers. Yep, and then our big bad, the patron. He just kidnaps Carlos, fucked off to nowhere, and then it's up to Boro to go out into the world, find Carlos and the patron, and put a stop to all this bullshit. Uh, The power that Boro gets is when he bleeds, he can turn his blood into armor. All right. Yeah, they call him a protectionist. Which, I dumb word, but whatever. <laughs> and yes, yeah, so far, I am interested. Okay. Like, this, this is nothing groundbreaking. Like, it's... Reading it, I got a kind of similar feeling that I got when I started reading Black Clover. In that I've seen all these parts before, and I've seen them all done better, but this is competent enough that I can't call it bad. 
But Black Clover, it it had one or two twists on things that were at least something. Like you know, like you know, it had you know a main character who was who didn't have the skills that everybody else had, but he had the fucking gumption to never give up and a secret power that nobody else in the world had. And then his rival is fucking this emotionally distant fucking black haired guy who's amazing at everything. But, but their relationship was that they had, they both had incredible mutual respect for each other. There was no animosity there. It wasn't like, it wasn't like, you know, a fucking Sasuke and Naruto thing. It was, they were just, they were bros. They knew that the two of them were the only real rivals they had, and that was enough to keep me going for it, and I am really enjoying Black Clover. With this, there is... There isn't that. There isn't anything that is like a twist on some kind of trope, or there isn't a... There isn't really some nugget of inspiration in here. So I might end up dropping this, but yeah, this is kind of a, this is kind of a really good example of like a three star kind of thing of it does enough right for it to not be bad, but doesn't do enough for it to be great or even that good. Like character design wise, I think it's fine. Like patron has a, Patron has a good design for a villain. He's he's like in like a he's in like a all white suit with a top hat, and he has this weird like almost Majora's mask esque face that that looks either like a rag or it looks like either a rag over his face or like his face just is just super fucked. Uh, but. I don't really have a strong sense of who he is or what he wants to do other than just make demons. I have no idea what the demons plan really is. I have no idea why why this is happening. It just kind of is because it needs to be a plot. Okay. But the artwork is really good on it. Like uh the like like I said character design works. Character design is good. Uh the actual drawing of everything is good. Uh they like backgrounds and environments all drawn really well. But other than that, yeah, it's all right. Well, okay then. Yeah, that seems to be kind of the that seems to be kind of the guiding principle for new manga lately. Like over the past few over the past like few months or like year or so, there've been a bunch of new manga coming out. And all of them have been just okay. Like yeah, I'm not same with uh, what I've been. What's I've been? What's the I mean, Goblin Slayer. I mean, it's good, but it's nothing special. Yeah, I also read some Goblin Slayer. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, nothing wrong with it. Are 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 ogres usually smart? Uh not really. Okay. Yeah, it's just kind of like fucking Sahara the Flower Samurai. That was a thing that got a first chapter, then apparently ran for 19 chapters, then got canceled. 
I did not know that they released anything beyond the first chapter. Okay. Yeah, it's stuff it's stuff like that that just kind of happens then fades away into nothing. Like I'm not I'm not asking for like fucking breaking the mold on what anime is or manga, but it would be nice if we just got some fucking if it would be nice if the fucking Something new mangaka stands got stands out from the crowd a little. <laughs> yeah, the fucking if the new mangaka coming out there got some fucking pep in their step and came up with just some kind of energy behind what they're doing. Yeah, something that would make it somewhat distinctive. Have you read um Platinum End yet? I have not. Okay, I might look at that one since it's a reteaming of Takeshi Obata and whoever the writer was on Death Note. Yeah, I've been meaning to look into that. But it's kind of weird. Every promotional image I've seen for that thing, it's just given me nothing but fucking Bakuman flashbacks and the anime and manga that they made in that series. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Moving on to the thing I spent the most time with over the past couple weeks. Yoamushi Petal. Kime, hime, hime. Yep. <laughs> So I mentioned this a bit. So I alluded to this earlier in the show, but you know, this is a bike racing. This is a bike racing anime and manga. Uh, I've been watching the anime, and biggest, most obvious complaint out in front: the CG. It's better implemented than some, but it's still anime CG. So it is still. Some hot garbage. But what's especially weird about it is so so when so when like they're biking, their bikes and their bodies are CG, but their heads are traditionally animated. Yeah, that bothered me too. <laughs> it's like, oh, we got this, like we oh we have like the character there, and their head is on a robot body. Yeah. Neat. I mean, that's, I mean, the the gold standard for bad CG animation for me is still going to be either Ajin or Knights of Sidonia. I don't know which is worse, but that was, that, that combination is particularly jarring because it reminds me of, um, remember when I told you about the Berserk anime? Yeah, yeah, this, there's very, there's very much Berserk shading going on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you're going to do a CG body and traditionally animated head, you got to go like a fucking tiger and bunny route of having there be a very clear, distinct cutoff point between what is supposed to be CG and what is supposed to be traditionally animated. Yeah, and I think um, the only character that that didn't work work with was um, the fire guy who was also flaming gay. But yeah, the reason that didn't work was because there was no big robot suit for him. He was just a traditional superhero. Yeah, and that's the thing, because the the tiger and bunny suits, they have the Iron Man pull the, the face plate back so you can see their faces under the armor thing. But I st- robots are still one of the few things I think even TV-level CG can do well because of the kind of clunky, unnatural, not fluid motion 
Yeah, and so if, and I I like the I like the I like the fight the robot fight scenes in Knights of Sidonia because it's giant robots fighting a a literal mass of vaginas. Okay. Yes, tiger. Yes, tiger and bunny having you know terrible. Yes, tiger and bunny having the fucking big ass robot suit, and then the fucking faceplate opens up to reveal a traditionally animated head. That works because there is a very clear distinction between, like, okay, the CG is this big robot thing, but then we are you know regular animated people. You then go into this, and there is no distinction other than one thing looks good, one thing looks bad. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. From the sounds of it. It is pretty. It's been a while since I've watched it. (laughs) It's pretty bad, but keep in mind that this is coming from me. And the hater of all CG. (laughs) Yeah, anime CG is one of the many banes of my fucking existence. Yeah. So take what I say here with a grain of salt regarding the CG. I mean, I'll I'll admit I didn't like it from what I remember of it either. It did, clearly didn't bother Cora very much because he watched the entire series, the entire oh, no, series I, at least. I, but um, I I think I'll stick to the manga because I like that story. I like those characters, but I uh, the yeah. Oh yeah, that that that's a really good thing though. Like I really love all the characters so far uh, from the from our main team. Oh yeah, no, and I like a lot of the uh, villain characters too. Villains are a, villains are a bit weaker for me. So I'm so right now I'm in the middle of the first inner high. Okay, now that's going to go on for a while. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm on season two and we are still in the middle of that. Yeah, <laughs> we they just started the third day. But one thing that I've noticed with the villain so far is that every villain is a different flavor of the same villain. So in in like a sports series or a shonen series kind of thing, there are a few different brands of villains. You know, you have like your duplicitous kind of guys. You have your like well-meaning but kind of dickish guys. You have the ones who are just fucking full aggro at all times. And then you have the ones that are that try to break down the self-confidence of the fucking main character at every chance through every piece of dialogue they say. Yeah, every villain so far has been that. Every villain has been, we are the best, so fuck you. Like, the fucking champions, the main guy, all he says is, we are strong, so we will win, fuck everybody else, basically. Then we have the fucking Soul Eater character who showed up. Who, he is the more, he's the more aggressively fuck you, I'm the best. Because he just straight up lies to people and tries to play off their fears and insecurities, like, like, like a, his, like that character is kind of the whole story arc for the for the stoic for the stoic veteran biker. Because when we first meet him, he is like, "Hey, I'm gonna bike up. Like, hey, I'm being driven to school in my fucking fancy ass car. I'm gonna bike up this hard ass hill as training because I got beaten by this guy." When he told me my mom died in the middle of a race we were having. But yeah, and 
everybody on the championship team is the is exactly like that. They are they are I am the greatest ever. So fuck all of you. And and then and then going into the third day of the inner high, we have our newest villain who is who is you know I'm the best so fuck you subcategory of kind of sleazy where when we first see him he starts hitting on the fucking club manager and then walks up to the champion and just starts fucking rubbing him and i mean that literally like he just walks up yeah, like, no, like, he, like he walks up grabs his grabs his like fucking biceps and it starts massaging him like he's about to make out with him And here's the thing. I don't like that kind of villain. Like, like having one of them is fine because, you know, he gets his comeuppance. Having seven of them. Yeah. It gets a bit weary at times. Like, I like I found myself actually skipping around a bunch in this because I cannot stand the fucking villain dialogue of I'm the greatest. Just give up now. You will never beat me. Yeah. And then jump that. ahead to the part where he gets beaten. I mean, I'm, I personally in term- just get sick of how long the rides take. But yeah, the- I, I know it. I know that the bike rides are supposed to take a while. I've seen professional bike rides, but oh, yeah. And so it's like that. That aside, like our main cast of characters, they are all pretty great. Like, with the exception of I'm a professional bike rider. You know, that fucking first year. Everybody has something to them. Like, even even the fucking stoic veteran, the guy who fucking lost to the Soul Eater character, he he isn't he isn't like the standard kind of guy you'd think he would, would be. Like, when I, when I first started watching the series, I assumed... That he would be the main rival. He would be. He would be like the guy that Onoda, Onoda uh, our main character. He's like he's the guy he's running after. He's the guy who's, he's trying to catch up to. But he never does. And so he. And so this guy is just dismissive to everything Onoda does. But no, he is actually really nice to him. And like when like when Onoda's like, "Hey, can you watch this anime and talk to me about it?" He's like. Yeah, sure. I'll watch it. And then he actually tries watching it and tries to have a conversation with this guy about anime. <sighs> the biggest strength of this show, though, is definitely your main character. Yeah. The first time I started watching this, the second I saw Onoda, I was just like, oh, you're adorable. Because his whole goal going into high school is to join the anime club. So we can have friends to discuss anime with. And then accidentally discovers that he is actually a bicycling prodigy. Just through living his, like, a... He kind of meets every requirement I have for, like, a sports anime protagonist. Wherein he, like, he is, you know... Inexperienced with the sport, but just through him being him, he has some advantage at it, grows up really quick into the sport, and 
like brings something else to the table. Like like going back to days, because this is kind of my example of a shitty sports protagonist to me. His thing is that he tries hard, and that's it. There is nothing else. With Onoda, he tries hard, but then he also has incredible endurance, a high natural cadence for turning the pedals, and just loves cycling so much that anything he, anytime he goes cycling, it makes him happy. Yeah. And kind of a... Almost like a coda of the show at this point is that is that Onoda, his joy of cycling, like draws people to him and makes him a better rider. And that is also what kind of makes him a really good character. Just even going through all the hardship our hardships, even with like internal monologue of like, oh god, what's happening? I'm gonna be fucking dying. There's always that underblining of just he just loves cycling. He just loves riding a fucking bike. And that translates, and that, that carries a lot into making him a really likable character. But should the series ever crumble, the guy writing it could probably get a could probably do a decent job writing a psychological horror anime. Because this gets real fucking heavy, real fucking fast over the fucking littlest shit. Like, I remember in uh, the first season when they had, like, a first-year bike race in order, to, in order to determine who would get on the team. When the fucking chain falls off the main character's bike, he looks like he just murdered his mother. Like, he looks, he looks like fucking almost like a Higarashi character for a bit. I, like, when the fucking van came up, I wholly expected him to just, like, start ripping out his own fucking throat with his fingernails. And then there's also the Soul Eater character. Who is just... He does not fit. At all. But it gets better, so... I do enjoy this series. It is a lot of fun. It's got a likable cast of characters. It has got a sport that is really simple to understand, but it's got a sport that's really simple to understand and has a really great way to visually show, like visually show improvement and like skill and such. Like, you know what I was talking about with Soma. Yeah, you're able to you're able to easily see like actual progression and stuff, and you're able to see you're able to see real sports and stuff in there, and they have not raised the stakes to the point where like the main character can't lose because they do actually lose a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Mushi Pedal, it's really good. CG notwithstanding. Anyway, that's all I got aside from the regulars. You know, Drifters, Pike U, Iron-Blooded Orphans. Yep. So, that does it for that then. On to news. 
We actually have some. So, panty and stocking with garter belts could be coming back. Yeah, there's actually several anime that I'm either familiar with or confused why they're bringing back that are announced coming back. One of which I think you're probably going to talk about, but if you don't, I'm I'll mention Probably it. not, because this is the only piece of news we got. Okay. Um, but before we do that, we should probably actually just finish up this piece of news. Okay. So yeah, uh, it was recently on the Gainax West Twitter account. Uh, they've been posting a series of tweets focusing on painting and stalking, and people have been freaking the balls out. One of them is just a silhouette of, you know, painting and stalking with coming soon. Uh, the tweets, well, I remember uh, that series, that I think tweets people little... came all the time. Yep. Uh, the tweets also mentioned that they'll be offering some new painting and stalking with guard belt stuff. Uh, it will make you excited, and it is not pachinko it is not a blu-ray thing it is something else well yeah of course they're they're not run by konami right no they're not okay and yeah so they'll be officially announcing what it is on december 16th and i can't wait i goddamn love painting stocking and that ending fucking pissed me the fuck off yeah I can see the appeal of panting and stocking, but it's one of those things that's just not for me. So it doesn't really affect me any. Okay. So, um, two other series that have gotten announcements for a sequel series at some point. One, a while ago, I just forgot to mention it. The other, much more recently, probably more people care about. The one I care about is that Full Metal Panic is getting another series. And I know you okay. don't care. But uh, nope. basically it looks like they're just going to finish the, out the manga, which given how the manga ends with giant robots fighting to stop a nuclear bomb from detonating over a major city. Cool. Um, the other one being Code Geass. Okay. I don't know what a Code Geass sequel would be. And it's actually a sequel because they're talking about Lelouch coming back. But I don't know why you would do that. (laughs) Because the ending was pretty conclusive. (laughs) I also just found a series that is about a young Japanese man being thrown into the world of competitive ballroom dancing. Sure. <laughs> so that's a thing that exists. Yeah. It has been doing fairly well, apparently. Because it has eight volumes out right now. Anyway. That's good for this week. <laughs> Thank y'all for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks' time with an episode of TheDestorProds.com anime and manga podcast. In between now and then, though, going to be having our regular run of news, baby reviews, podcasts. Ow! Kinds of bullshit, but... Until then, I'm the dead man. And I'm Birdie. And we'll see you guys next time.